Dirty Chats. For this episode, I'm delighted that you have three hosts. I'm Samuel Davies. Joining me today are the other two wizards behind Charity Chat, Usman Mughal and Vicky Luck. Hello. How you guys doing? Hi. Hello. Hi. So, Vicky, this is the three of us have been working together, and this is the first time we've uh, done a podcast, all three of us, I think, isn't it? It is. Um, and actually, you know, Sam, with you being the original founder of Charity Chat, actually, it's been um, only in the past couple of years that Usman and I have joined the show. And um, personally, I found it hugely interesting. It's been a whirlwind of activity, and I've really enjoyed getting to know more people within the sector more people who want to contribute to the sector as well and actually just improve my own learnings um, in my own line of work as well. So it's been hugely rewarding, but just intensely interesting speaking to so many people who are absolutely passionate about charities and their beneficiaries as well. Yeah. So what, what about you? Yeah. I mean, you've, been, you've been getting uh, involved in those different things over the last few months. Years. Yeah, absolutely. Very similar to Vicky. Joined at roughly the same time, didn't we, Vicky? And yeah. really enjoyed my time um, so far at Charity Chat. Um, and as Vicky's mentioned, meeting so many people in the sector on a range of issues. So in the last couple of months, I've been talking um, to people around equality, diversity, and inclusion. Talking about the fundraising landscape and what that may look like post COVID nineteen. And we've got a couple of other really interesting podcasts lined up as well, which we'll be releasing in the next couple of weeks and months. So it's been a really interesting learning curve. And I think not only do you get to meet so many great people across the sector, like you two, of course, and, and so many other people, you also bring that into your day job and you have a, a broader view and more blue sky thinking when it comes to your day job, which I think is really important. And you bring a lot of knowledge and skills to your day job that otherwise you perhaps wouldn't have at a particular stage in your career. And that's one of the things that Charity Chat has allowed me to do is engage with senior stakeholders and provide my comment or my opinion on certain um, situations. Um, so for example, particularly when we look at EDI as a topic, um, Action for Children, where I work as a senior philanthropy fundraiser being able to be part of that discourse and that conversation internally and working with a few colleagues internally to lead our response to um, COVID-19 and the impact and inequities it's shown in society but also looking at um, the impact on the charity sector and organizations like Charity So White that have really um, shined a light on the charity sector um, and the racial inequalities that exist. So I think on a whole range of issues, um, it's been a really enlightening experience and I hope it continues for many more years to come. And it's a huge thank you as well, really. You know, we couldn't be here without our listeners and our fellow contributors, so everyone who's volunteered their time, their energy, their expertise, their insight and learning. Um, I think what's absolutely fantastic about all of our volunteers is that they've been so open to share um, what can often be complex or sensitive and just not an easy conversation in many cases you know some of the topics that Usman just mentioned now although they are sort of on our agenda at the moment it doesn't necessarily mean that those conversation points are easier than they have been but we are obviously more receptive to them perhaps um, more broadly speaking so it actually is with huge thanks and gratitude um, that we can continue doing what we do. 
And it, it looks like we're getting uh, increasing uh, feedback from the listeners. I know the listenership, I think we've had 27,000 listens now, which is fantastic. And that's going up uh, month on month. People are going back, listening to the other shows. And I wonder whether that's partly because there is this real um, kind of increased need uh, for, for charities to do more with less and, uh, and this uh, increased need for uh, more and more people in terms of beneficiaries and, um, and you know, kind of people that would benefit from the, the charity's work. And uh, it's, uh, we're getting some really good feedback. We've got some really good constructive feedback too. And I hope that the listeners will be listening to this who have maybe listened to earlier episodes, especially before you guys uh, were on board and clearly marked a, a step change in the quality of the podcast um, because uh, I know that you know we've we've certainly learned a lot here at Charity Chat over the last few years, and now we're having our hundredth show, which is um, which is fantastic. And uh, how do you feel about that, Sam? Did you ever think you were going to get to this point? I feel very old. I tell you that. I feel a lot. <laughs> but no, I think it's great because I think you know I I got involved in this uh, because I wanted to know how to do my job better. You know, working in the charity sector. I wanted to learn more about the charity sector. Um, there are courses, there are qualifications you can get. Um, but I think also, you know, having people that are willing to kind of talk about, share their knowledge, talk about their experiences, and um, you know, the kind of uh, the, the kind of sharing solidarity that we get from you know people that uh, of all different ages, backgrounds, experience levels, uh, and knowledge is is fantastic. So it's great to be a part of that. Absolutely. Definitely. And I think I do, similar to what Vicky and Sam, what you've also mentioned, is just thanking the people that contribute and come on our podcast and are so open and engaging, are willing to share their expertise with us. Because um, that's the mission we have at Charity Chat, isn't it? It's about working together in a collaborative way with partners, um, with other contributors, with other organisations to be the hub of learning and development to move our sector on and make sure that we are at the end of the day always there for our beneficiaries and whatever we do as individuals as employees or volunteers in the charity sector making sure that the the journey is ensuring that our beneficiaries are supported and empowered i think that's what it all leads to Desmond, uh, what's been your experience of, of trust fundraising over the past few months in, in the time of COVID-19? And how do you see this developing? Yes, it's been a really interesting and unprecedented time um, in the charity sector, as it has been for society as a result of COVID-19. In terms of trust fundraising, so my role at Action for Children is uh, philanthropy. So I work across major donors and trusts. And in the last few months, my focus has very much been trust fundraising as opposed to major donor fundraising. So in terms of trust fundraising, what I've seen and what has encouraged me a lot is that funders are all coming together. So a good example of that is a London Community Response Fund. Organisations are coming together. So examples include the National Lottery Community Fund, City Bridge Trust, Trust for London, um, and there's various more. And they're all willing to come together to distribute funds and direct the funds as quickly as they can um, to the beneficiaries. And I think that's really important because it's shown that the sector 
is able to be transparent but also work very quickly if it needs to and that's been encouraging to see action for children and i'm sure in a lot of organizations across the sector there has been the covid19 emergency fund that every organization has done due to covid19 and that's really important but now all of those funds are kind of drying up now and so it's where next and what does that look like and it's still a very difficult time and i think there's going to be a transition phase between where we're currently at and moving six months ahead obviously there's talk of redundancies and cuts in organizations which is challenging and difficult um so i think we're still in a transition phase i don't have all of the answers because we've never been like we've never been through a crisis like this before but what is also interesting is that funders are more willing to fund unrestricted and i think that's an important conversation because before organizations they needed more convincing as to why you need unrestricted funds whereas in the last 3 or 4 months organizations have been more willing i believe to provide those unrestricted funds forward so i think that's a, a definite encouragement for organizations because we know that unrestricted funds are really important in the in terms of making the organization function so that's another interesting conversation in terms of whether that will continue or post covid that will start to dry out as well obviously we talk about trust fund raising it's a huge uh, channel for for fundraising for so many charities and i was i was part of a watchly for social change um course earlier this week and uh, a lot of the charities represented on that um had a huge proportion or certainly you know big proportion of their funding came from trusts and the whole point of this was about um diversifying and uh, obviously vicky we've we've talked a lot on the podcast in recent weeks about other forms of fundraising we talked about virtual events and and you, you know you're working in the charity sector as well what are you seeing in terms of um diversifying income is that uh, difficult or particularly difficult now I think the conversations around it is a lot easier. I think there's a widespread belief that change is inevitable and actually change is good because we have to change and it's this constant feeling of learning which is something we're all acutely aware of right now as a consequence um of covid-19. However, that doesn't mean it's going to necessarily be easier to change. There are a lot of organizations that are small they don't have the budgets and they certainly won't have the budgets now um it's all about survival i suppose in the short term before they can even consider the mid to long term but also because it's so new to so many people there are you know large organizations which maybe have transitioned but there will be others that actually have lagged behind for very obvious reasons um i'm sure and i think it's not necessarily going to be so straightforward to have that cohesive journey for staff for supporters for participants if it were an event as well and actually it's a saturated market let's be honest we've always been very upfront with you know who is Dorothy Jonah for example who are who's on your mailing list are we asking the same people over and over and we've seen some amazing instances of charitable giving especially in the past few months you know people have been raising millions for very deserving organizations and charities but ultimately i think we've got to realize that no matter how amazing your new virtual event might be or 
you know, an amazing project that you might have in the pipeline now. There's only so much money that, you know, your individual givers will have. There's only so much capacity that people have to donate. And I think it's going to be a really tricky balance to get that right. How much to invest into new tech, new virtual stuff, um, new fundraising ideas versus, you know, the impact of furloughing and potential redundancies and actually worrying about your reserves for the next few months. So I think it's all really, really up in the air. But I'm absolutely certain that being as nimble as possible is the answer for, for most organisations, whatever that looks like. That's a really good point, Ricky. I um, absolutely agree with you, particularly when, because of COVID-19, for example, you've had a lot of the community fundraising just stop overnight um, due to lockdown and due to government restrictions. So that hasn't been able to progress. And therefore, where charities are reliant on that type of income, they've had a more difficult time um, than other organisations, which perhaps have had the more diversified income streams between the corporate fundraising, the trust fundraising, IG, um, individual giving, that is, um, or other elements of fundraising. And it's a conversation that I think is always in the minds of fundraising directors and fundraising leaders that they more need more of a diversified income um, streams. But when it actually hits like this, it makes it even more apparent um, and the importance um, is amplified that we need to ensure that for organisations to be sustainable, we need to not just be reliant on um, a particular funding stream. And I think the bedrock of many smaller organisations is trust fundraising. And, and that's fine. And a lot of trusts have responded um, amazingly well to COVID-19 and the outbreak of COVID-19. But at some point, their income and their funds are going to dry up too. And there's going to be more competition around that. So organisations have to be mindful of um, being more creative and adaptable in their thinking as to where the next um, opportunity lies. And that's where element of digital for example comes in as well an important topic that we've seen the charity sector debate over the last few months and we at charity chat have also had this conversation with a number of contributors is around equality diversity and inclusion and it'll be really interesting to get your insights into that Sam and Vicky. I attended the first ever online BAME conference um, earlier today and it was a really positive, really upbeat conference talking about several issues in relation to the charity sector and we know that these discussions are happening more wider than the charity sector. So for example, following the murder of George Floyd in the US, um, that sparked um, global outcry and protests and we've also seen the impact of COVID-19 particularly on um, BAME communities and I just wanted to get your insights into what do you believe organisations can do and what have you seen organisations doing over the last few months to to make sure that they're more equal diverse and inclusive. Sam do you want to go first? Yeah well I mean really you know uh, you and Vicky have done a great job I think with covering a lot of this with uh, interviews with the charity So White. And, um, you know, I've, I've, for one, learned so much from, um, from their campaigning and, and what, what they're saying and where they're coming from. And that seems to have taken, um, taken a big 
part of discussions in the charity sector over the past few months, especially prior to COVID-19. Since COVID-19, of course, there have been, we've done other shows and, and you guys have done other shows, um, which kind of understands that inequality is not just um, as it's reported in the, in the news, it's a big problem um, in society in terms of uh, the impact of COVID-19 and the disproportionate BAME community affected by it disproportionately. It's endemic, isn't it, that there's this inequality that we're seeing more and more, the Black Lives Matter movement. From my point of view, the charity sector, I think we need to be, we need to be the ones on the front line. We are the ones on the front line when it comes to providing the most necessary services to people. But we also need to be on the front line of affecting that societal change. And I, I don't think it's, it's too arrogant to say that we are capable of doing that because, you know, we're changing society. Charities are campaigning, they're getting things done, um, they're moving governments, even governments that seem very reticent to make big changes. Um, they're moving them and they've done that historically. So I think it's a really uh, interesting time for us to, to have this. And um, it's, it's actually a privilege to be part of kind of one of the one of the voices charity chat giving a forum to those voices around diversity and equality it's been a exciting and upsetting year in equal measure across all sorts of things that seem to have happened in 2020 so far and i think black lives matter movement has been one of those I'd say highlights in a way which is not out of insensitivity but mostly because I'm absolutely delighted that people are talking about it because it is a conversation that is massively overdue and obviously the amazing work um, being done by organisations such as Charity So White is absolutely crucial in raising those voices, those experiences because frankly you know also as a fellow person of colour experiences like that can be difficult to voice they are often seen as um, not necessarily constructive and it's it's hard for for those involved who need to um, make the change or be the decision maker behind the change um, to face up to so I'm actually relieved that this is all happening now uh, even though it is amidst the most awful of circumstances I think it takes an awful lot of bravery to do what uh, charities so white have done you know, all of their members are volunteer members and each of them all have their own story and experiences to share, which they are, and they're sharing it as widely as possible. So I would encourage you to have a look at their Twitter account as well, because that just has so much information, so many links to other organisations who they speak to and some amazing stories of organisations who are slowly but surely asking the right questions to make change. I think one of the key takeaways for my um podcast with Charity So White is that the answer isn't always clear and neither should it be. The problem is complex and therefore so is the solution. But what they're trying to do is allow the space to yourself and say, you know, what what is not right here? What needs doing? And giving you access to have that conversation at all. And I think that's absolutely crucial because it is quite a hidden topic of discussion, perhaps, and people are not comfortable talking. And so I think just that accessibility around using the word racism, for example, knowing when you can say black, for example, or what BAME means to people of colour, I think it 
just helps with the transparency um, across that whole complex topic and takes the fear and anxiety away from it um, bit by bit. So I think it's chipping away at a very large, large topic and in no way are we going to wake up and overnight everything's fixed. But I'm hoping this is obviously a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely, Vicky and Sam. I, I completely agree with what both of you have, have said. And I'd just like to make two additional points. The first point, when we talk about equality, diversity and inclusion, you know, we have touched on um, the impact on the BAME community, um, Black Lives Matter movement, but it's not only that, it's the nine protected characteristics. Um, so it's those that are disabled, um, you know, gender, age, etc. So it encompasses all of that. And what funders particularly are asking for now is the percentage of um, your trustees or your senior management or your executive leadership team that have lived experience of the issues that we're trying to solve. And that is going to become more prevalent as the years go on. I was at the trust conference earlier this year and a couple of speakers alluded to this. So a number of funders in the sector are coming together as part of a diversity, equity and inclusion coalition. And they are coming together to address why funding is inequitable across the sector. So organisations, it's not, this conversation is not a nice to have. It's going to be part and parcel and very central to the amount of funding you're going to be able to obtain. Um, and also the point that you mentioned, Vicky, around um, lived experience is vitally important because if you're a senior manager in an organisation that has the responsibility and the capacity to affect change, if you've got lived experience, you're more likely um, to show that in your decision making and having more, I, more people like that around the table avoids things like groupthink where people from a similar background come together, our trustees, you know, our senior leadership, and that that is not a healthy environment where you can have positive challenge to, to different decisions. And I also just make one final point around the charity sector. Obviously, we're here to do well, but I read a quote the other day that meaning well is not necessarily doing well. And that for me was quite powerful because as a sector, we often mean real, really well. We're there to support our beneficiaries but that is not necessarily or doesn't directly lead to actually doing well. And I think that's going to be vital in the next few months of this conversation goes forward. What actions can we take to ensure that our sector is more equitable, diverse and inclusive? Because as a sector, we should be the leaders in this conversation, given the values of us as a sector. And it's a shame to see that we're not quite there yet, but the first BAME online um, conference, Charity So White, the Institute of Fundraising, many funders are all pushing in the same direction and that is definitely a cause for encouragement. So we're at the 100th episode, we've talked about that, we, you know, we've, we've already, I think we've done a fairly good job of thanking our listeners because without you listeners, we wouldn't be doing this. We wouldn't be 100 episodes in because it's, the, it's really a two-way conversation. Without all those people giving up their time to contribute in the interviews, without those of you who contact us, review us on Apple Podcasts or any of these other platforms, or, or tell us what we're doing wrong or what we could be doing better, 
we wouldn't be in this, I, know, I think it's fair to say. So thank you to all of you. And when we're looking at the next 100 episodes, you know, for us, we're now a kind of a weekly podcast. We're talking about the next couple of years. God knows what it's going to be like in two years' time. The world is changing every day. But what do we each hope um, that the sector uh, will step up to do and, and the challenges that we have now and in the future um, and the place uh, of charity chat and all that? Vicky, what, what are your, your thoughts? I think now is a perfect opportunity to take stock and really evaluate where where we are. So whether it's you as an individual in your line of work, in your role, um, or your organisation, or where your organisation fits within the wider landscape in which you work. I think it's absolutely crucial because things will inevitably change you know we've touched upon you know um sort of fundraising and our supporters and how the next few months will really bring about a lot of unknown and unpredictability but actually we need to have direction we need to know where we want to be in the mid to long term both to for sustainability um and to carry on existing but also to exist for the right reasons not simply just to exist because traditionally and historically we have I think our needs will change I think the needs of your beneficiaries will change because life changes and it's so easy for for us um, to just want to carry on with what we know and I think that's been the predominant view that actually changes an investment what we not necessarily considered is that change is is good and that in itself will bring further investment. So I think a new outlook is perfect at this point. And there needs to be an acceptance that actually nothing is going to be what it was before. And so I think it's a really exciting time as we look to do things differently, a really exciting time as we look to view the world differently and our place within that like i said whether it's you within your line of work or your organization and there is absolutely nothing wrong with evaluating what your mission and your vision might be because ultimately if you don't remain flexible and adaptive you will do yourself out out of business because you are no longer providing the right service at all i don't think there's a set template for for what is right right now <laughs> and I don't think there certainly is any rule book on what we should be doing in six months 12 months time there's maybe a bit of common sense but there's also a lot of bravery to be had um, and taking that leap um, otherwise it's just going to be a stagnant sector and we just can't really risk it I, I like that especially I think you made me think because you're right. You know, in my, my view, it's, it's a time of taking stock, isn't it? And on a personal level too. And I guess so many of us have got into the charity sector. We found ourselves working in charity and then our career grew and we went into different work and we've learned more and we've understood different causes and, 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 the, and the injustices in the world and how to try and correct them. But on a personal level, we, I think you're right, we need to be self-reflective. We need to think about, well, what can we do now? What, how can we be more effective? Are we in the right cause? Are we, are we supporting the right organisation? Is our organisation where we want to be? And if not, can we affect change within our organisation? 
Um, you know, it's, it's at every level, isn't it? Organisationally as well. We know there's going to probably be more need for a lot of beneficiary groups because of the challenges COVID-19 now, but also the recessions come and who knows, maybe more austerity. So it's on every level, that kind of reflecting and innovations in, in how we behave and, and what we see as the right thing to do. And I think it's going to be really interesting talking to some of our volunteers and contributors over the next few months and finding out what people have decided enough is enough and what people have actually decided to invest in because those are going to be some really difficult decisions that some charities have done for a long, long time, you know, whether it's a particular service that they've been providing or a certain way of doing something. And I think if we start hearing some of those amazing stories, actually, it's going to motivate us to continue in that direction. Elizabeth, what do you think in terms of how, how the, the times as they are, COVID-19 and, and all of these other things that are happening over the last few months, how do you think that's likely to change how the charity sector operates in the future? I think, as we've all mentioned and alluded to, I think the last few months, and particularly the impact of COVID-19, has been a difficult period for everybody across society and within the charity sector as well. But while it has been a challenging time, I still think that there is, there should be huge optimism um, about the opportunities that do lie ahead. Um, and I've got three specific examples. The first is around digital. The way organizations have been able to transition their work into a digital format has been inspiring to see. So for example, I know some organizations that have done online webinars with over 50 of their major donors. I know organizations which have taken um, events that previously were done face-to-face, -face, taken them online. So there is a lot to be optimistic about. And I think um, it's easy due to the impact of COVID-19 and the impact it's going to have on organisations and individuals, it becomes quite difficult to see light at the end of the tunnel. But the way organisations have adapted themselves has been really rewarding. And working in an organisation that has been able to adapt to COVID-19 uh, leads to my second point about moving and adapting with the times. I think as a sector, sometimes we're quite risk averse. We sometimes um, don't really take risks because financially we're probably unable to do so. But what COVID-19 has taught us is that we've had to take those risks and we've had to be creative. And it has shown that in spite of all the challenges, fundraising has gone on. People, as Vicky alluded to earlier, have raised millions and millions of pounds. So as a sector, it should give us encouragement that moving forward, we should be as creative and take risks, but making sure that we have the beneficiaries in mind at the end of the day. And the third point is really related to fundraising, but around how we can have ongoing conversations with funders about what we need as organisations in order to achieve our aims, values and mission. I think from a fundraising perspective, the conversation historically has been, you've got all the cash and therefore you hold the power. But I think now 
given that organizations have the expertise, they need to work alongside funders to affect change. And I think that's a broader conversation um, to be had. But that will be my three, um, particularly around the way organizations have been able to adapt. So yes, it's been a tough and challenging time, but at the same time, there is room for optimism in the way that the sector has approached um, quite challenging times. that's you know recent events have absolutely accelerated activities and innovation for for a lot of organizations who have perhaps always had in the back of their mind in the pipeline some digitalization work you know they've wanted to migrate things over online um, to become more cost effective and to streamline but actually perhaps there never was an immediate imperative to do so actually now what have you got to lose? Let's just do it. Let's rip the plaster off and let's do it. And hopefully, you know, they're seeing the benefits already. But on top of the speed and the acceleration at which things need to happen, I think there's a growing understanding that who we're reaching out to, both our beneficiaries as well as our donors, is changing as well. You know, change seems to be a word I'm using an awful lot right now. But I think that sort of encapsulates everything, this period that we're in currently we're starting to see a whole new generation of donors coming to the forefront, you know, who will be the decision makers, you know, a lot of family foundations and trusts, you know, who are historically family owned and family run. Um, You know, it's a younger generation of decision makers joining boards and committees. We're seeing a slight change in agenda or how decisions are being made. Um, And it's not necessarily up to the individual anymore, but as a wider collective, potentially. And we're also seeing the speed at which people communicate and learn and evaluate and the the speed at which they have touch points to find out what the impact is from their donation or what's going on on the other side of the world that might impact their other investments, for example. So the whole landscape around giving is fundamentally changing and we are really on the brink of that how something like COVID-19 will will impact what we anticipated even a year ago who knows but you know really interesting reads from Barclays from the Beacon Collective um, episode that Osman did I found that really insightful and fully optimistic. I think the reality also is that there is no magic formula at the moment, no organization can say that they've worked it all out and they all know what they're going to be doing in the next six and 12 months. And this is very much a learning phase, seeing and taking stock, yes, but also moving with the times and acknowledging that there will, be have, there will have to be difficult decisions being made uh, for the organizations, which will impact beneficiaries ultimately. So there is going to be um, a lot of challenge in the next six and 12 months. But what we are hoping to do at Charity Chat is bring together contributors, volunteers, employees, the sector as a whole to be a hub of learning where we are, where we want to share different thoughts and ideas um, to ensure that we are there to share that expertise with the sector and working alongside other organisations to do so. I think that's that's absolutely it, isn't it? The the purpose of our charity chat, you know, this this group of uh, the three of us, but really hundreds of people who have contributed, 
is to amplify the voices of need of those charities and also increase the kind of philanthropic education, which is one way of looking at, you know, how charities um, communicate with supporters. We're, we're helping supporters to make informed decisions about what they should do with their lives, at least, you know, philanthropically to make the world a better place. And there seems to be so much goodwill to, for that idea now. You know, again, COVID-19 has shown so many of us that society isn't right, that there are so many wrongs in society. And uh, I think a lot of people are getting a bit more empathic because of everyone's had a difficult time of it. Some have had really terrible times of it. And I hope that that's a good kind of launch platform for um, not only uh, the next charity chat, 100 shows, but also kind of holding hands with, you know, those people that are really affecting change or planning on affecting change or have learned from mistakes along the way that we can share and, and uh, help to kind of constantly add to the, uh, the shared knowledge that we all have to make a better world. Charity Chat, this is, your, this is your platform. So what we'd love to do is we'd love to hear from you. Um, those of you that have already been involved, those of you that maybe have been quite listening and haven't been in touch with us, the next 100 episodes, we feel a responsibility to get out to more people, to develop the show, to get more topics, to have more diverse topics and guests. So if you're one of those people, if you know somebody that would be interested in talking to Charity Chat, sharing knowledge that all of our other listeners would be interested in hearing, and we can make that judgment for you, Please just get in touch with us. Vicky, how do they do that? So many ways. Obviously, please do visit our website as well for further information. Um, simply charitychat.org.uk. You'll be able to find some of our um, previous podcasts on there. Bits of information about some of our other contributors who have joined us on various episodes, as well as obviously our contact details. So please feel free to reach out on there. Or DM us on Twitter as well. Um, we are on facebook we are on linkedin all again uh, charity chat so um yeah please please do get in touch i would just like to thank everybody for listening to our 100th episode um at charity chat sam and vicky it's been an enormous pleasure working with you over the last 100 or so episodes and i would like to thank our contributors uh, volunteers who have given their time and expertise to us. We really appreciate the wonderful expertise, knowledge and openness that you have shown and anybody listening to this podcast from across the charity sector, please get in touch with us to do a podcast on an issue that you feel passionate about because here at Charity Chat, we want to be the hub for learning. We want to be able to share our expertise with the whole sector and make sure that the sector is one that we can be proud of. It's, it's just left for me to, uh, to thank our corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for continuing to sponsor our podcast kit, Magda Axamit for the beautiful website design. As we've said, check us out, charitychat.org.uk, RIR Photography for the lovely pro bono images on the website, and of course, Forest of Fools have been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. Vicky, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio, guys. Bye.